And we're back. It is July 15th, episode... I've actually lost count. What are we on? 79? 79. 79. That's awesome. Holy cow, we're almost at 100. That blows my mind. You remember when we first started this? (laughs) I wasn't around when you first started it. I came in like 20 episodes in, something like that. Yeah, but I was kind of just troubleshooting throughout most of it. I mean, it was kind of funny because I think it was... Yeah, a pandemic was still happening, so like most of the stuff was still closed. Whenever I started doing those Instagram videos, and I would just literally go on my story and see stuff that I was reading about, I'd find it. I'd just be like, hey, no one wants to talk about this stuff, so I'm putting it on social media. Let me know if you want to talk about it. And I would just talk about it for a while. And I, I got like a significant number of replies. I mean, significant to me is probably like five to ten per per video. But I don't know, it's, it's, it's just interesting because you always think to yourself, no, this, this stuff probably isn't interesting to anyone else. Uh, I, it's probably just me who wants to talk about it. Then you put it out in public and you start to realize that it's typically everyone is all on the same page. They're just waiting for someone to say something in public. And I know like a lot of the, I don't know if you call them influencers, but a lot of the folks that we follow, I mean, I guess you throw Trunk Fan, uh, Sahil Bloom, Greg Eisenberg, all those guys that I always talk about a lot. I mean, throw Dickie Bush, like any of the writers, they, they pretty much live and thrive off that. It's sort of just what can we say to the what are we interested in the community that we think everyone else is interested in and i think that's the absolute epitome of good content and where i'm going with this is and there is an end to it was i was looking at i think i had twitter open something like that and it it just has become so clear the people that are trying to make money off of just clicks and ads and total bs that like is absolutely not improving anyone's life Oh, yeah. So it was um, one of our guys put up um, a picture. It was just of a YouTube screen, basically. And it had a whole bunch of these influencer guys that were doing videos where they would fill a pool, like an entire pool with X material, just something ridiculous that should never belong in a pool. And they did a little dive into it where they said, okay, people do this just for the content. At the end of the day, they throw everything away. It's just a giant waste. It's You've created a negative waste because you want to make money off like people, people just clicking on your video and ads, and it's just it's it's stupid. It's kind of got me sitting here thinking, we need to that that's like the biggest part of the content industry that we have to fix because we you know you and I don't make any money off this. We do it because we enjoy it and it's fun, but people dedicate their lives to YouTube and Substack and all these other things that where they're just their entire goal is just to get clicks, and that's that's not actually providing value. It's like they they did a thing on it was the. Uh... The primitive, the primitive buildings uh, channels where it has the Southeast Asian guys where they build like the pools, the houses or whatever. And it's all supposedly like out of mud and using fire and like really basic stuff. But they make these elaborate structures and they did a dive into it. And a few other people have recently and it was talking about how like none of it's real. It's not just two guys doing this and it happens over like a week. No, it's done in 48 hours. They have backhoes and all this other stuff. It's a team of 12 people. And then they just get left in the middle of the forest somewhere and it's a total waste and it destroys part of the environment. I saw that too. And I think the most interesting part was what they were talking about was it's the folks from like Cambodia, the Philippines, like super poor countries that if you, if you get dollars from YouTube somehow, those dollars go a really far away. So what they did in like super typical Asian fashion is they saw what someone had found success with in the West. They made it twice as efficient three times better and absolutely industrialized the heck out of it and then mass produced it and made it their own way. And it is, I mean, it's super impressive that someone saw something like that 
and said, oh my gosh, we're literally kind of like, and we're, in, we're in a total third world country and we can use this to figure it out and to make it better. That's wild to me. Yeah, Even if they I, are they, cheating. like they, they base it off some guy in Australia who was just teaching some primitive techniques or whatever that you can do and like camping and all. And the fact that they took it to such a level where they did, where they're building like a resort pool in the middle of the forest blows my mind. Yeah, those are the folks that we need to ship over to engineering school here. They really are. I mean, <laughs> it's amazing what they can do with what they have. Yeah, we're getting the brain. We're gonna we're gonna put brain drain in full effect. <laughs> Isn't it crazy that there's countries that are like seriously suffering from that now? Yeah. I don't know. It kind of makes me think. It was like I I feel like it's almost a compliment, but in the worst way possible. It's like, oh yeah, we're taking your people because we can offer them the infrastructure. Uh, okay, all right, all your smart people are gone. On to the next one. But it's not even like just countries like that. I mean, if you look, there there are places in Europe right now that are offering visas and like yearly stipends for you to move there if you have a degree in a desirable field. And it's like major European power countries. Yeah, but maybe that's almost a good thing though, because we always think of America as a total melting pot. And it's partially because we build ourselves as the land of opportunity. And so you have all these folks from different backgrounds coming in, all contributing and supposedly the best and the brightest of everyone. So. I mean, if I'm if I'm running a European, if I'm Germany, say for that, who probably could just always use a boost to their image, regardless of anything, I, I think that's a great idea. I'm I'm kind of, I'm looking at the Asian countries and the African countries and saying, I want your athletes, I want your scientists, I want your mathematicians, send them to me, and I will subsidize everything to make sure that they've got what they need to succeed. And then they just have to be German citizens. That's it. Just imagining they have kind of like a swap meet online with countries and it's like USA offers up two pro athletes and Germany offers two rocket scientists and they need to just swap them at neutral ground. Okay, here you go. You say it jokingly, but I'm not kidding. FIFA is literally a slave trade. Like it's it's pretty bad. I'm not enough into soccer to fully understand it. No, it, it, it's really intense. As those people, while they make many billions of dollars and, you know, Cristiano Ronaldo's got a glance, he's you know, three-year-old son has a gold Lamborghini, but those, those, those guys are basically slaves and they get traded without any say or anything like that. They sign contracts, they sign their lives away. So imagining that on a globalized scale based around intelligence, that is a very crazy dystopian thought. Yeah. But I think it's good. If you have the opportunity now, let's say you're in engineering or STEM, anything like that, and you're in one of the desired fields, take the chance do the opportunities that they have go see another country i think it's a good thing for us to do right now i think the u.s has been riding on the curtails that is the greatest country in the world for years and years and years and years and 95 99 of our country hasn't ever really spent significant time outside of it and if we have it's in majorly tourist areas i think we really need to see what the rest of the world has to offer because i think we we've slacked off i think it's time that we kind of see are we still the greatest well, we always boil down education to like time in a classroom and test scores. And that's not what education is, I don't think. I think education is so much deeper than that in that it's experiencing other like new things that are different from what you normally have day to day. And that, that might not be a, like a good explanation, but you, you get a better education from spending a month in like a little village in South America learning their customs and cultures than you would that month in a classroom. Sure, you're gonna learn some technical skills, but I, I just think you would learn so much more 
emotional intelligence wise, which I would argue is more important than intellectual intelligence. And I also think that we've completely lost our emotional intelligence <laughs> and whether that's a factor of the political scene, which I think is a big part of it, the lack of human interaction we now have. I mean, everyone's, everyone's more tied to their phones and has kind of lost the ability to interact. Obviously COVID was a big part of that. The whole stay inside, don't go out and talk to people thing really, really drained us. I mean, we've almost completely converted to like a, a how do I talk to you society where we're, we're all, we're all intelligent beings at most of us, but no one is emotionally intelligent anymore. We can't read each other because we're too, like we're, we, we've gotten used to the whole screen thing. I think it's just our current education pipeline that we have really devalues emotional intelligence. It's not built for that. It's built for traditional intelligence and getting a degree. And it's not really for interacting with people. And the people that do have a high emotional intelligence, they have found their fields and they do carve those out. Those are all of the influencers, the ones that actually do it well, do it organically. They're able to interact with people because they know what people want. They're also the people that work in marketing and sales and that type of stuff. And those fields aren't to be put down because it takes a whole lot of that emotional intelligence that a typical person with other forms of intelligence won't necessarily have. You have to wonder if the push in the mental health, I don't want to call it an, I don't think mental health is an industry, is it? It's definitely an industry now. Okay, so then we'll say that. I, I, I have to wonder if the push into the mental health industry has helped or hurt our emotional intelligence. And before before we leverage something, an opinion on this, I you can you can see the clear help, which is like, hey, like be aware of your emotions and everything. But it's also kind of it feels like it's steering people in a certain direction. It's it's sort of like that industry and those people that are really, really kind of woke about this sort of thing, they seem to always want to steer you towards some type of action. Where I'm like, hang on a sec, maybe like, yeah, I mean therapy's cool and all and all that stuff, but like at some point, get over yourself and move on. Like it, it's, we don't have to normalize being sad about everything. At some point, you have to toughen up a little bit. I agree with that, and I think a lot of it too is it's, it's putting the burden of mental health on the person, which to a degree it is, but it's not placing the blame on the society and the jobs and whatever else that's causing the issue. We're taking someone where someone got shot with a bullet wound and we're putting a Band-Aid over it by saying, go do yoga after work. That'll help your mental health. And that's the solution. When just don't shoot people, that's the solution. Like, you know what I mean? Well, that so that's, all right, uh, there's a lot going on in that. So the people I think that are often pushing this are the ones that can afford to go to yoga six times a week and can like can actually do these regimens. And they're, they're the ones who are like, you know, they're they're pushing their own mental health platforms that they have investment into but and they're saying you know like it's okay to be all these things and i'm like well, how would you know <laughs> you have millions of dollars in the bank you don't have to work you just have to do these advertisements and run your little company that you built with a partnership and didn't actually do anything then you go to yoga and you get to go shop at whole foods and all that you're pushing this product it's it's completely unrelated to what most people are going through and i mean effectively we're all connected all the time so unless you can Put your phone on airplane mode and shut it off, which I do every single night because I don't think anyone should be able to interrupt your sleep. I, I understand that there's emergencies, whatever, but no one should be able to interrupt that. But unless you can just, the second you're done with work, put it away, and most people can't, you're going to be subjected to some sort of mental strain the whole day. Right. I agree. And the, I mean, 
And like you said, it's a whole lot of people that have the time to be able to do these things that are like the ones creating these services. I mean, I just recently had a meeting with my school. We had the whole school had to be online with it. And rather than like coming up with ways to try to fix the system, because medic, the medical field is extremely toxic system, not that other fields aren't finance business also extremely toxic you're working 24 hours a day can't put your phone down but the solutions they're providing for mental health weren't okay we should try to do these things to fix the system it was you should try to do these things at home to help yourself out after you've already dealt with these systemic issues which that's the problem we're we're putting the band-aid on the bullet wound let's stop the bullet wounds it's uh it's cope and work harder (laughs) yeah i mean it, it I mean, I get it, we're progressing fast, but I don't think that like we're necessarily built as people to work as hard as we do and to progress as fast as we have over time. It puts so much stress on our bodies and our brains. Do you have trouble like doing nothing? Yes. I do too. I can't, so I feel terrible. Like I feel like I need to be doing something. I feel anxious over the fact that I'm being lazy. And take it even one step further, even the things that we do to relax have some goal to trigger that little chemical that makes you feel like you're accomplishing goals. Like video games all have like a level up system or you're progressing through like a battle pass or something like that because you need that little shot of, oh, like I hit a goal, like I did this, that's what's keeping me going. That's 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 not healthy, that's not good at all. Even reading a book, it's I, I read five chapters or yeah. I read a hundred pages or something else like that. So it's doing not it. like I just read and oh, this made me a little happy, we're good for the day. But then that's still a goal, it made you happy. Yep. Everything is goal driven. It used to be like you're reading for the story because you want to be immersed in it. Now it's I'm reading because I need to get through this book to feel like I got through a book this month. Yes. That sucks. And I've been like, I've been fighting that so hard because I, I think I, I put reading down. I used to read a ton as a kid and I loved it. And then I put it down for the longest time, really picked it back up towards the end of my college career and didn't have the same joy because it was, it was that it was like, I want to, I want to get through. I just want to understand the story boil it down to what I got and move on. And that's like the poison that hustle culture has kind of instilled in everybody. It's you're, you're never going to be free. You're never going to do this. You're never going to do this unless you're always building and working, which just is, I don't think any way to live. I think part of it is that we went through, and I'm, I know I went through it. I'm sure you probably did too. We went through, what was it? The accelerated reader program in school. So you'd read a book, then you'd take a little quiz on it on a computer or whatever. You'd get points on it, and that's how reading was done. It was all goal-based. You just had to keep this generic theme throughout and know some basic facts and regurgitate it on a little quiz. And so, like, it taught you to not really enjoy the book and the whole scene that plays out and more just like, okay, this is basically what happens. These are the key themes that we should learn from it and then test on it. It's not for enjoyment. It's more for examination. I hadn't thought about that at all. That's interesting. So I know I listened to, I don't remember whose podcast it was, but they had, it might've been Naval, it was Naval Ravikant and he was talking about, which I like him a lot. I know he's he's a venture capitalist, has a bunch of stuff. He does a lot of things with philosophy. I, I just, I truly enjoy his opinions because they're all kind of, hey, I've distilled these ideas down to the most basic concepts possible. And I'm telling you why. I'm not telling you what, because the what is less important than the why. But what I was listening to quite a while ago with him was, he said, I don't ever finish a book all the way through. I said, why? And he said, well, it's because you typically don't need to. There's so much fluff within a book that you can often just read what you need to get the general idea. And once you've gotten the general idea and understood it, you just put it down and don't waste the rest of your time. I think Naval's a terrifically intelligent guy. 
And I really enjoy that whenever it comes, I, I think that idea is really valuable whenever it comes to a, like a learning book, but that concept is very backwards when it comes to an enjoyment book. Like if it doesn't have dragons and magic and swords and shields, I probably don't want to read it. I'm, I, and I, I don't want to read it fast. I want to enjoy every second of it and play it out like, a, like an eight season show. It also depends on a learning book too, is like your education gets farther because that like, I used to be able to do that. I used to be able, okay, I would get a general gist of something from a textbook or whatever else that I was learning from. And then you'd stop and then you kind of have the overall thought of it. But like, as you progress farther, whether you're getting a master's, a PhD, uh, MD or DO degree, whatever else you're getting, it requires so much more than that. It requires you to know all of the little tiny itty bitty bits of it. So it doesn't even play into that portion of it. I think, and I think about this a lot, I think that we've kind of created this machine that distills knowledge down as quickly as possible because we have to learn faster and faster. And if you try to explain any, any of the concepts that we understand and we take for granted nowadays to someone 100 years ago, they'd look at you like you were crazy. They'd say, that what? But our baseline has just shifted and we just have to move faster than usual. So now it's you learn algebra by sixth grade, whatever it is. At what point is it you learn algebra in third grade? And by sixth grade, you're learning computer coding. And it's just like everything gets pushed up and more complex early on. That's just more stress on the brain and a lower quality of life, potentially. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think we've reached this point, like I was kind of saying, where we're progressing too fast for our brains to comfortably do it. And I think at some point, as much as we need to continue to progress in society and move as fast as we are, you can choose to do that after high school, once you get into college or after college, or whether you're just going out in the field, being an entrepreneur, or just learning, doing on-the-job training, or at home with YouTube, whatever it is, there's time for that. But I don't think we need to push people as fast as we do during their early growing up, because as we're talking about with the accelerated reader system, it ingrains these thought processes and how we work through things from an early age. And this is a time when our brains are developing these core processes. And like, that's how it's done for the rest of our life because that's how we learned early on how it should be done. And it makes us that way forever. So I think we kind of need to slow down education to some degree and really focus on it more and like not really speed it up and just kind of gloss over things as much. But I like how you mentioned the, the needing a freedom of choice thing too. So not to be sound like a capitalist pig industrialist, but what, would it really be a harm for us to kind of design our society to say, look, once you've, once you're out of your childhood and I don't know when, what you define out of childhood as for, for the sake of argument, maybe we say like 16 or 18, one of those, cause we're growing up faster than ever. And what if you say like, when you're out of that stage, typical human, I get that there's plenty of exceptions, whatever. 95% of people, 99% of people, typical human, you get out of that stage and you, you can kind of decide, like there's really two paths. You say, all right, we go and normalize this, higher education path, pursue college, chase a career, go for whatever you want. Or option B, which is, hey, look, I, I genuinely kind of just enjoy what life is. I like going slow. I don't need more out of it. Put me in, make make me a laborer. Like I put me in a job where I'm producing and helping someone else because I genuinely just enjoy existing outside of this. I want to know my hours. I want to know how much I'm getting paid, which I think should be generous enough to motivate people to choose that if they really don't want to go somewhere else. And allow allow folks to have 
a nice, a, like a decent quality of living for, for producing the labor that the A group needs to push society forward. Is that so bad? No, I don't think it's bad. I think we really need to reward that more. Yeah, I mean, people get made fun of because they're like, yeah, like, oh, you didn't go to college. You went and became a plumber or an electrician. Well, guess what? Those dudes are making $120,000 like three years in, okay? And they're doing better than you are in like all your debt and everything. But they're obviously working a lot harder than a lot of people and they're working in a different way. But they've chosen their lifestyle and I think they should be commended for it, if anything. I really think they should and I think like you talked about like they're kind of bad mouth the entire way throughout school and elementary because the whole like process is you go to school you do well in high school you go to college you get a degree and we, we've continuously kind of pigeonholed ourselves to where we taper down farther and farther and farther in our specialty after high school into a small field and i think that's part of the issue of why people don't get as much enjoyment out of life and their jobs is because it used to be you might go to college, you might not, but you had a lot of flexibility in your field. Your grandfather, you probably talked to them and they had so many different jobs and so many different fields. They could do a lot of things. Now it's like you go out, you get a college degree, you may get a master's or a PhD after that, but you only have one small specific field and you can't really change outside of that. You're doing the same thing forever and you find out that you may not even like it at that point, but the other people can. You can go out and be a general contractor and you can do so much with that and you can change your lifestyle however you want to focus on what your needs are. And we've created so many of these office jobs that don't really produce much just because we we had to create them in order to get keep, like keep paying people. So we've we've essentially taken folks out of the labor force because we have 120% way too many insurance salesmen, too many financial advisors, we have too many bankers, we have way too many of these very low end white collar jobs that used to require a lot of manual labor because it was pretty much just like, go churn up sales activity for your company. And now it's, wait a minute, we have a computer that can do the work of 20 people right here, maybe 50. We don't, we don't need those folks. We're just paying them a salary because we have to like, we, it's just a custom, like it's what we used to do. So I, I mean, stop pushing people towards degrees. Start, we need to all start learning very usable skill sets. I pretty much, I feel like most often, most people who work in a white collar job are, if, if there was an apocalypse, we'd all be useless. And the folks that are in blue collar jobs would not, they would win. They would 100% survive. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Like when I was in college, one of the things I did is I worked maintenance for a summer so I could learn how to fix things, do stuff in my house. Because when you go into a white collar field, it's kind of expected, like being a doctor, you don't really do those things at your home. You hire someone to do it for you. And it's yeah. like, it's not that hard. Same with fixing stuff in your car, changing out certain parts, uh, changing the oil, all that type of stuff. It could be easily done at home if you have the tools to do so, which retros- like aren't too, too expensive in the end game with the money you save overall. But most people just don't know how to do it and they're willing to shell out a ridiculous amount to pay someone else to do it. Brakes cost $600 to do at a dealership, but you can do them at home for 150 Well, you know why tools would ever be expensive? Why? Because we're not producing enough because we don't have enough people making them. <laughs> then you can even get them cheap you can go to harbor freight and harbor freight's bad mouthed in the tool field like everybody wants milwaukee or makita or something else Snap like that on. where it's a fancy mm. big brand name but like you can go to harbor freight which is cheap tools they may not last you forever but you can get them cheap and you can get whatever current job you need done without a breaking i think the image for like the perfect american society in which we can all kind of figure this stuff out is that 
everyone has both your normal education as well as your useful education, where we're all intelligent enough that we can discuss how an economy should be run, how money works, and how we're going to make decisions on infrastructure and other political matters that I hate talking about because I think they're all run poorly. But you have that education, but you everyone also has this normal skill set where they're like, oh, you know, like woodworking interests me. Oh, I think welding's kind of cool. Like, oh yeah, no, I'm a personal trainer. I want to study how the body works. And like, I just like all these very useful things to where there's someone in your neighborhood at all times for everything that you can call and say, okay, we've really segregated ourselves into these little communities that are self-sufficient. And on top of that, we become so perfectly interconnected using the internet and the cloud and maybe throw some Web3 in there. I don't want to get too saucy, but get all that in there and say, okay, if you go to a new community, you can seamlessly integrate, get to know everyone super quickly. They can get to know you and how you're useful. And this way, everyone can use each other in the proper way and we all thrive because of it. It kind of takes away the whole like, oh, we're all fighting over money, blah, 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 blah. No, it's like, oh, everyone can help each other. That way we can dedicate our money towards bigger problems like allocating resources towards, again, infrastructure, big stuff, very big stuff, trade. I agree. Like like I said in the previous episode, we somewhere along the line, we switched the mindset from producing more goods to producing either money. making more money off the goods we have or losing less money off the goods we already produce. Yep. So it... We're not getting anything more out of what we're doing. We're just trying to make more money out of it. Yeah, I deal with this every single day and it's so frustrating. So, I mean, I work in the real estate industry, which my job is as boiled down as it can get. Um, Find inefficiencies in the market, correct them, and make sure that each company is in the most efficient place possible so that they can cut down costs and produce as much for as many people at the lowest cost possible. But... I mean, in my time, all I've seen is that there are, one, way too many middlemen, two, way too many rules, too much bureaucracy, three, way too many lawyers. Why the heck do we have people arguing over such simple stuff when we can just all focus on the problem and fix it together, figure out who needs what? It's unbelievable how clogged up and jammed the systems get just because there's too many people working on things that don't matter. Yeah, I agree. It, it's just but it's impossible to fix right now currently and some people are working on it there are the people that are like they realize these inefficiencies and they're working actively against them but like it's not on a large scale there's no way to get around it i just we've just jammed up our system with politicians and bureaucrats and lobbying there's no way i don't know it needs the like only a big way it's really set. working is you're getting the people that are creating their own companies doing the exact opposite of what's currently out there and stealing business from them it doesn't work to go and change the system it works to do things like Mark Cuban did, where instead of trying to destroy the like drug insurance system, he's like, okay, I'll build a company that doesn't require insurance, and that'll take over and eliminate the need for it. And I think that's what people need to do on a broader scale is, is instead of trying to change the system that has the middleman, create a system that doesn't have it in there, make it efficient enough and cost effective enough that people choose that instead and eliminates the middleman system that's currently in place. I like that. And you boil it down even further and say, look, all you have to do if you're an entrepreneur is find any industry that is plagued with um, gatekeepers. Find a way around those gatekeepers. Boom. You've, I, I don't care how you do it. You're going to make money. People are going to want that service and you can charge them less than the gatekeepers are charging because you're not the new gatekeeper. You've opened the gate for people to go around. Exactly. 
crazy, absolutely crazy. All right, let's do some lighthearted stuff. So I, the Dodge Challenger, the electric Challenger I sent you looks wild. It does, but it's not gonna look like that in production. No, so I, that was from American Muscle. It's a company that I adore. I've gotten most of my car parts from them. They get a bad name because everyone's like, oh, you got it from American Muscle. I'm like, yeah, whatever, fine. They maybe overcharge me a little bit, but you know what? I They get great customer service. Uh, I know my parts are going to be there, and I know they're going to work. So I like American Muscle. I think it's fine. They just included Challengers in their line. They typically only did um, Mustangs and I think Ford F-150. They pretty much just did, like, big Ford stuff. But they recently included Challengers in it on the Dodge. That was a big thing of the Dodge train. And, Matt, you and I make fun of Dodge all the time because they're kind of like the – they're like the lone cowboy left in the car scene to where – Ford and GM have all kind of capitulated and said, look, we're going to give in. We're going to build as many electric cars as we can. We're going to make them super soft and squishy and make them, you know, electric SUV Mustang that I have a vendetta against. So we're going to do all these things because we need to hit our ESG stuff. And Dodge, to the day it dies, is just like, nope, don't care. We'll pay fines. Um, We are muscle. And that's what they do. They don't care what they do. They have a cheap, powerful product and they like it. So they put out this image. It was a teaser image of the 2025. They call it what? The E-Muscle? I think something like that. Yes. Yep. So they put out like the E-Muscle. I I don't know if that's the actual name. But either way, it's supposed to be three years away. It was their concept for an electric Challenger, which is just the best idea ever. I've been saying, you and I have both been saying this. Electric, rear-wheel drive, muscle cars. Two doors, nothing but power. Make it happen. I think it sounds fun. I just, I don't know. Something's going to get messed up down the line. Every time we see one of these really cool renderings, which is what this was, it was a rendering. It wasn't an actual, like, even rolling model or anything. They, they come out, and they're a few years ahead of when the model's going to come out, and they look fantastic, amazing. The Supra looked amazing when it was like that. Yeah. A few other cars have done that. And then they actually reveal the production model, and we're like, uh, this sucks. The only one that hasn't done that is the new Nissan Z. That one looked pretty much basically the same as when it did in the rendering. You'd mentioned that. All right, we gotta go back though. So like everyone has their gripes with the new Supra because of that. Forget everything inside the car. I actually think they look really good. I've seen a few in like the new, what are they call them like the AZ, it's some jacked up version of it. I think they're beautiful. I think they're okay. I think yeah. they, a lot of people they don't really give me anything new outside of a BRZ or anything else like that. They look kind of just like another branch off that tree. Yeah. No, and I get that. I totally get that. So, But they may be fantastically fun to drive, and that's a whole other factor. Well, the new Z06 Camaro is coming out. Or not Camaro. Uh, Corvette is coming out soon. As I, I'm seeing the C8s just everywhere, and I, I, I think they look spectacular. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God, they look so good. I've, I quickly went from these are really cool. We're getting an American Ferrari to every dad over the age of fifty down here in South Florida has one. I really like the C7s more just because they're a little bit they're they're, they're true to American muscle. Now we need more we need more mid-engine and rear-engine American sports cars because we don't have any, and we're not going to get any more. I I I am willing to bet on that. We are not going to get any more rear and mid-engine American sports cars. It's just not going to happen. I'm okay with it. Like, I feel like we've talked about this previously. We need every car company needs a sedan, a truck, a muscle car, and, and a sports car. car. Yeah. Or, and yeah. most of them don't have the sports car. Like, Ford's the only one that really does. It would be great if Dodge came out with a, <laughs> a mid engine electric Viper. That would be fun. 
You're right. I mean, well, yeah, if you're doing classifications, you'd go Ford would be Mustang and then Ford GT is their sports car, but that's not an attainable sports car for most people. Chevy's really, or GM is really the only company that's put out an attainable Neuron supercar. It's the Corvette. I mean, you could throw so much power into that thing and you can get them for 50 grand. Like, what? It's, it is it is an exceptional platform to build a race car off of. And Dodge is as well if you can find one, but you literally cannot find a Viper anywhere. Nope. No. I don't know. I, I just think the whole thing is cool because we're... ESG is something I struggle with a lot. And I, I wrote about this a while ago, but it's one of those things where everyone has focused on the E and the S and they've completely forgotten the G. And the E obviously is environmental. And I, I think that's first and foremost in everyone's minds because you literally pollute one ounce over any of the measurements and you're going to have people on the internet shoving it down your throat, asking to boycott your company and cancel you in every way. The social is the exact same way. You take one misstep, you do one thing. And uh, so some companies do really stupid things. The Burger King tweet always comes to mind where on National Women's Day, they said women belong in the kitchen uh, with a period. And I think that period spoke a lot. But you'd open up the thousand comments under it and pretty much everyone said, this was a stupid choice. Like we get what you're saying, but this was probably not the right message. And even though they had good intentions and they knew it would make a splash, they got dunked. It was awful. But they will forget the governance. That's the G in ESG. It's the making sure you run a company efficiently and in the right way. Yeah. I don't know. There's a whole lot of companies not being run in the right way. And there's so many ways to critique that, that it's impossible to get into. Sure. Sure. I think staying true to your brand is one of the best things a company can do. Unless your brand was based on something terrible. That's the start of the new Radio Shack. Yeah. It was, oh, my God. You read my mind. Ty Lopez buying Radio Shack. <laughs> that dude is such a nutcase. He's crazy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, don't, I guess for anyone for anyone listening that didn't know, the so Radio Shack got bought out by a guy named Ty Lopez. And Ty Lopez got famous because he basically kind of like faked his way into stardom. Um he would like rent out Lamborghinis and rent out people's garages. So make it look like he was rich out of his mind, but he wasn't, he was like selling books and speeches and everything. So he, he, he essentially bluffed his way into fame and into wealth and riches. And now he's, I, now he is, I assume wealthy and rich and famous and all that good stuff. So, um, I mean, congrats. He, he literally bluffed his way at the poker table all the way up the top. So he did. He bought out Radio Shack, and his first order of business was, let's be as raunchy and horrible as we can on the Radio Shack Twitter just to garner attention. And, of course, it worked perfectly. People could not stop talking about it for a week. But it was short. I, I wouldn't even give it a week. It was like a few days, and then it kind of like you're the trickling of articles or whatever by everybody else. But they had their 15 minutes of fame, and it's quickly blown over. No one's interested anymore. It's all done. And I don't think it garnered the same amount of interest that would continue going on and investment in the new company that they have that they thought it was going to by being as outlandish as they were. I think you have to understand that if you're going into like a field. If you're making a move like that, you have to know that human attention spans have never been shorter. So if you're going to go for shock factor, you have to do shock factor, but then you have to back it up with actual real stuff. You have to make some kind of pivot along the way. I don't, I don't think they have. I, I, I totally fell into that and lost interest, so I don't know. Yeah, it basically just let everybody know that they're still here doing something totally different than they were, and then everybody's like, okay, we don't care. Okay, I'm going to look it up because I'm curious. I don't 
what what are they doing? They're doing crypto. Oh god, Dude, of course they, they have are. A, they have a Radio Shack <laughs> coin. It looks like there's still a store locator. It looks like they're still selling stuff, but all their physical locations I thought were closed. Yeah, my understanding now is they're a crypto sales company. I don't know how exactly it works, but yeah, listing of at Fitcoin after their launch. Hide your moms, these guys. Oh God. Oh man. <laughs> oh man. You can't even finish the sentence of their spiel. <laughs> that's that's something else. Oh man, that's unbelievable. I we're living in a simulation. We have to be. <laughs> There's just no way. We should also probably talk about <laughs> Elon trying to step down out of the Twitter deal, which is also absolutely hilarious. At the cost of like a billion dollars for him to pull out of it because that was in the original contract. He's just so silly. And I, I, I know he doesn't give any shits about the money. There's no way he cares and he knows he's rich and he knows he's always going to have the money. So the money doesn't matter. Everyone's so obsessed with the values of it and the monies. I'm like, no, like this dude doesn't care. He's, he's worried about solving bigger problems. I don't know if there's an end game. I, I, everyone's been talking about it. I think... I think he just kind of understood that he was inviting the devil into his home because Twitter is a literal hellhole, as much as I love it. And he pretty much probably just took a look and said, yeah, even if I'm right about all of this, this is not worth it in any way. This is horrible. I think he also knows if he pulls out of this. His whole point is that he's going to legally battle it so he doesn't have to pay the billion dollars that was in the original contract to pull out of it. And he knows a legal battle is going to take a really long time. Yeah. And going to have a whole lot of news which Elon Musk's number one thing is always being in the news every week and him having a legal battle with one of the biggest social media companies in the world means he's going to continually be in the news. You know what the sad thing is? He, I don't know if this is sad, but he wins really any which way you, you frame this. There, there's no loss for him at all. No. I mean, a billion dollars is pocket change for him almost. I mean, what? He has like over $200 billion. Like it, It's going to affect him so little. So my theory kind of was, look, the guys who picked up Twitter before, or so whenever Jack Dorsey stepped down and they reorganized the whole company, there was a bunch of folks put in power that all of a sudden had a shitload of Twitter shares. And they're like, whoa, wow, we've, we're like, we're pretty much just like fumbling along trying to figure out how to make this platform actually make money. Cause it doesn't make a lot of money at all. According to whatever they release every quarter, that's not a lot. And you know, this crazy dude comes in and says, Hey, uh, six months later, after you guys taken over, uh, congrats on that, by the way. I'm going to buy your company for enough money that each of you get like $100 million in an exit fee. And they all, for whatever stupid reason, said, no, nah, I don't know if we want that. We got we to gotta put a lot of contingencies in. And so then these people who I have to assume are just way too smart for their own good get a little bit down the line on, in this deal. And they eventually realize, oh, my God, what's wrong with us? We're staring $100 million right in the face and we literally had to do nothing but babysit a piece of shit company for eight months that's all we had to do and now that hundred million is about to go away and they're saying well wait a minute we don't actually want we we do want you to buy this and say god there's just a whole bunch of people here who are not thinking with their heads i 100 percent agree wild the world is wild and makes no sense <laughs> okay what else we got 
Um, Meta, the old, or what used to be called the Oculus, which is the VR headset that Facebook made, They're, they've rebranded to Meta, obviously, and so they're rebranding and releasing the Meta Quest Pro, which is funny because it was the Oculus Quest for a while, and so it's the Meta Quest Pro. It's going to retail for about $1,000 is the new one. And I'm kind of sitting here thinking, well, I, I I would have never bought a VR headset if it was a thousand dollars. I know mine was four hundred because I got the one with the bigger memory, which didn't need. They kind of lied to me about that, but it's one of those things that if you really want mass VR adoption, and I think Zuckerberg does, I think he's really pushing that. I think you have to find a way to somehow make it a little bit cheaper on retail. You have to you have to kind of release like the light version because not everyone has a grand to drop on this and just enjoy it. And also, it does kind of have a time frame to where you're like, okay, I've experienced everything I need to here. Until it's useful within your workplace or within your family, you're probably gonna put it down. Plus, like, there's no way to upgrade it and make it new. And I know that's the case with cell phones, so we won't even bring that conversation in, but like, I've got a fancy pre-built computer, but it, it, I bought it for roughly a grand. But I can go in and when this computer gets old, I can rip out the parts that are bad and put new ones in there for like $300, however much it is. And it's not too hard. It takes a couple of YouTube videos to figure it out. But I can make it up to qualifications with the new computers that are coming out. With this, you're going to spend $1,000 that's going to be worthless within five years. Okay, but you had a great idea there. Maybe incidentally. I should be able to go in and trade my VR headset and get the newest one at a discount. It's the same materials, yes. right? Just an upgraded screen and graphics processor. And they can use all the old parts, harvest them, use whatever else they need from it from the old one. It would be great if you could trade that in, or at least if you could go in and like take it apart and be okay, I just need this new part and put that in in place. But nothing works that way nowadays. You can't really fix and replace and upgrade anything. It's, a, it's the simple cycle of everything we have is disposable. So the last two, or I guess probably the last decade, the drop shipping, e-commerce, and repurposing of materials and trying to make the spread on a deal, that was the big thing. I think for the next 10 years, it's how do you recycle materials and recreate a product. I think that's what it is. Those are the companies that are going to kill it. I think so too. If they make products that you can continuously upgrade and reuse, trade back in for something for the new model for a discount they're going to do the best we're moving so fast and our technology is moving at light speed and so if you're building a product now like a tech product you kind of have to anticipate if we want to stay alive as a company we need to prepare for our next product release a year and a half from now and we need to make sure that the old one is compatible with the with the new one like you, there's some kind of trade up and trade in i agree wild did you ever think we'd like get this fast in technology? Do you remember having iPods? <laughs> I remember I having an iPod. iPod. It's just wild. I had the iPod, uh, I think they called it the movie, which is the little one that was more square than rectangular and still had the little dial thing on it and all. I feel like that's going to be our generation's version of a, uh, a dial phone where you had to like swipe it around in a circle to put in a number. It's going to be the iPods from Apple with the dial on there, and that's how you change songs and all. Yeah, I think so. At the rate it's moving, that's not that far. Like that's not that far in the past at all. Yeah, I feel like those those were they they weren't that far long ago when they still had the little slim ones that were out on the market. But now it's if it, it feels like it wasn't that long ago, but it was probably like ten years since they've really sold that much. That's probably true. And so I know they killed the uh, they killed the iPod at some point. They killed like some product line. I don't really remember. 
but I think they've killed off the iPod now. I mean, because they were basically iPhones without uh, the ability to call someone, and then people just would download one of the uh, digital version phone apps, essentially, like WhatsApp or whatever else. You could get Google Phone, whatever else, and still make calls. So it was essentially a phone without being a phone. And so I think they got rid of them. They're like, okay, if you really want that, go get a used iPhone from someone. Right. Too many product lines, not enough profit. Yep. Makes sense. All right. I think what I want to do is we can touch on the dollar euro thing. And I that that would wrap it for me. Then it would just be whatever else you have. Does that sound good? Sounds good. Cool. So, I mean, it's worth noting, you know, this is in the morning brew. I'd totally forgotten. The dollar and the euro are just about at parity. I know Matt and I talked about this before, so we're going to kind of explain what that means, why it's relevant, and why it's one of those things that everyone is sort of making a bigger deal out of it than needs be because it's a short-term thing, not a long-term thing. So, are we ready? (laughs) Go for it. Awesome. So, when two currencies are at parity, that means they're trading one for one, which means I could exchange one dollar for one euro. That does not mean that they have the same buying power, essentially. The buying power is going to be a little bit flipped. The reason for that is historically in the past few decades, probably two decades, I don't really know past that, but in recent history, a dollar was worth less than a euro technically. Your buying power is a little bit lower. And a good example for that was we used, we, we tried to boil it down as much as possible. At least when I was having to do the conversion a little while ago, it was just about would equal one euro, which means you'd have to spend a dollar and a half to get one of anything in a European country. So say you're buying an apple for two euros, but you're an American who deals in dollars. You're going to need to pay $3 to get the apple, which is worth two euros. Now let's fast forward to nowadays when things are at parity. That apple has not changed. It is still worth two euros. And now you only have to pay $2 as opposed to $3 for that apple. Technically, your buying power has shifted. It has gotten stronger. So the joke that everyone's kind of making is, hey, Americans, go over to Europe now while you can and spend all of your dollars because they're worth more in Europe than they are in the United States because you have a little bit of extra buying power than you did in the past. This is one of those macro topics that I hate because it it takes so... It doesn't take anything else into account. A few of the examples I used was, look, say you're in California, New York, where your income is just proportionally higher than anywhere else in the United States. And while your cost of living is higher, you could take that income and theoretically abuse the heck out of it by going somewhere else that has a lower cost of living and just being the absolute king of the castle there with your giant income. Now, the parity match is going to, absolutely help those people a lot more. So if you have one of those higher incomes that's based because you're somewhere in the United States that has a higher standard of living, higher cost, you're going to have a giant raise in buying power over in Europe. It's going to be great. Now say you're in the deep south where buying power is lower, infrastructure is less built out, cost of living is lower, really doesn't affect you as much. So it's one of those things that really does help a few people. It doesn't help a lot of people. And at the end of the day, in the long run, it's just not going to matter because the prices are going to reflect the shift. They're going to shift to reflect the true supply and demand of everything. If there is a giant raise in vacations from America over to Europe, a whole bunch of Americans are going over spending all their dollars. Europe's going to get rich pretty quick. 
and they're gonna have a whole bunch of money sitting there and a whole little tiny bit of supply because we bought up all their stuff. It means they gotta produce more stuff. So it's, it, it's literally just gonna go back and forth. And again, macro, there's so much stuff going on, it's not worth me going down the rabbit hole of doing it because it's just too much. So if you see that, that's what it means. I find it interesting, I don't think you should worry about it. I agree 100% with what he said. Like, <laughs> not, not financial advice. <laughs> None of this is financial advice. Do not, do not take a trip to Europe because it's gonna be cheaper might be more expensive by the time you get there. The world is shifting so fast. Yes, there's literally nowhere to keep up, which is why my gripe with traders all still stands. But <laughs> Okay, all right. So do you want to do uh, – I know you, you point out the telescope thing, so we should do that, and then we could do medical if you want, and then we could wrap. All right, sounds good. Let's do it. So we just had the James Webb telescope come online and release the first like five images. So this is what's replacing the Hubble telescope. And so it's taking, it's like way more powerful, taking pictures that are much more high def, deeper into space, that type thing. But weird things are going on. They've kind of, previously they had pointed out some spots in space where they had some galaxies or stars, stars way out in the distance that just kind of like disappeared. Normally they kind of explode, but they just kind of got snuffed out and they didn't know what was going on. And they really couldn't figure out why. And then now that they have the Newt Space Telescope out there, they were able to look in those areas again and find out it's not just the couple stars, there's actually a good bit of stars. And there's like something linking them together kind of in space. They're not really sure how it works. It's kind of like a spider web. But they thought originally that it was just kind of like a dust cloud. Like basically a windstorm blowing through space and it just kind of covered them up and we didn't see that. But now they think that like there's something actively out there that's like covering them up or like destroying these stars somehow deep, deep in space like hundreds of years old. Thanos? <laughs> I don't know what it is, um, but if we can see it. Sorry, minor yeah. issue. Back to Matt. <laughs> Yeah, if there is something out there in space that's kind of clogging up stars, turning them off in a sense, um, if it's doing that, it definitely knows we're here because it's that big. I, I'm glad it hasn't come to us because that's not a good thing. Well, I don't think we'd really like, it wouldn't matter. It'd kind of just be like, whoosh, we're all dead, right? I mean, no, not necessarily. I mean, assuming it just wants stars let's say it, it snuffs out the sun, that there would be a period of time where we would still have life and oxygen, and then the trees would rapidly die off and the ecosystems would be upset, and then the animals would start dying off because the ones that eat the plants would die and the animals that eat the animals that eat the plants would die, and then oxygen starts dipping lower and lower. We only have a certain amount of time to generate oxygen on our own, which we have the technology to do that. We can take oxygen out of the air. There's pumps for that. You can also generate it from water and everything else. We could figure it out, but we don't have the structure to do that. It would take a little time, but it wouldn't just be a whoosh. We, we would definitely know that everything is rapidly going to zero. God, scientists are such downers. No, what I'm saying is like that. Don't what we really like? I feel like if the sun goes out, all like we're just we're frozen immediately, right? There's no heat. It is the only source know. of heat. 
I mean, I know we need it for heat, but I assume we, we, we could figure out a way to keep us warm to some degree, whether it means like going subterranean to some degree. We have large cave systems and that type of stuff, which don't experience too much heat. We also have so many ways to generate heat that could keep us alive. Well, but we're also like hurtling through space now without an orbit. So we're just going in a random direction. Yeah, we might hit something else before the lack of oxygen and heat kills us. Dude, if you ever have a problem at work where you're sitting there and you're like, God, man, like this sucks. I really wish I wasn't dealing with this. Just try to imagine that we're on a rock hurtling through space around a giant fiery ball. And there's probably something out in the rest of the universe that is actively blowing up those similar sized balls. You're going to feel small real quick and be like, oh, shit, I should just be having fun. <laughs> at least yeah, that's how I, mean I see it. I always go back to that thing that it happened early pandemic where it was one of the big generals of one of the, I think it was here in the US that said like, yeah, we came in contact with intelligent life from outside earth. And they said they don't want anything to do with us. When did that happen? I don't remember that. That happened early pandemic. You can look up the news articles. I forget who it was. It was like a secretary of defense or something like that or general of something early pandemic. And it was kind of like when like things are really starting to get bad. And I don't really know if it's true because it came out in that period where they might've just been saying wild things because they wanted to kind of like downplay what was currently going on in society. Or they were saying things because they knew things were wild and they were like, we can get away with saying this because no one's gonna remember it. Well, they're right, I didn't remember it, but we have to be in agreement though. There, there definitely is absolutely have to be intelligent life somewhere else in the universe. Maybe not in the universe, but maybe within another universe. All right, universe is huge. Maybe not within this galaxy, but probably within the universe, right? There's no way. Like, yeah. universe, I can't even imagine. <laughs> Galaxies are enormous. Our solar system's huge. Yes. All right. But for all we know, they can travel between them in a, like, we drive from our house to our job. And that so far, they want nothing to do with us, at least. And they're letting us be and do our little crazy thing. I just think about Mass Effect, and I'm like, man, how cool would that be? But that's probably not how it's going to play. It'd be totally wild to see, like, like to even interact with something that has enough power that we haven't even seen it, like, to the best of our ability with thousands upon thousands of years of us creating technology and all that type of stuff. We haven't ever seen anything. We've seen some indications. The fact that we have pyramids built for Evrio, that, yeah, that kind of indicates we might have had some sort of intelligent life here better than what we had at the time. But we haven't seen any evidence, really, of aliens of any sort. And I'm sure something has to know we're here and decided we're not worth their time. Yeah, but what if, what if there was just like a hard reset on humanity? Like, what if we got super, super advanced to where we figured out the pyramids and we could do all this stuff and travel, and then something happened that was a reset? Like, maybe like we discovered AI and Terminator happened. Mm. And then it couldn't run and it just fell apart. Maybe we're getting, we might we might be getting too deep. <laughs> Maybe just a little bit. This might be one of the tinfoil hat rabbit holes. I think I want to do this, but I want to dedicate like a whole episode to figuring it out. <laughs> I don't know if we could do this. We've got like two minutes left. <laughs> I'm gonna have to let after that episode. I'll have to like sit down and just let my brain cool off. It's like running your car at red, <laughs> redlining it for five minutes. Yeah, that, that feels like a two whiskey conversation. Mm. <laughs> All right. I think that's fun. All right. Do we have anything else to go over? I, th- I think we've probably just crushed everything. Yeah, I think we're good. I love it. All right. Have an awesome weekend. We'll catch you next week. Catch you next week.